and welcome to the debut episode of the Patriot Way podcast brought to you by the Never Ending Glory podcast and blog. I'm your host, Luke Grilly. If you follow the Never Ending Glory podcast for the two plus years, uh, you know what we're all about. You know what I'm all about. I'm all about talking Patriots, talking football, fantasy football. Um, and after the two plus years of just talking about the NFL in general, talking about just at fantasy football in general, I thought this was a natural switch to start talking about nothing but my beloved New England Patriots. Again, if you've been listening to us for the two plus years, you know I am uh, a Patriots homer from New England, born in New England, raised in New England, spent four years in Northeast Ohio at the Baldwin Wallace College, not university. Um, that's where I met the rest of the Never Ending Glory podcast crew. But tonight, I'm debuting the Patriots Way podcast, which has been something I've been thinking about for the past few years, uh, or a few months actually, inspired by the Monday Night Man, pen and paper, just 20 to 30 minutes of hashtag clean takes from just me talking Patriots. As much as I love the guys from Ohio, you know, they don't want to hear me talk about the, the running back battle in training camp in New England. At the same time, I don't want to hear them talking about the Cleveland media and how terrible they are. And uh, hearing about all the different linemen that cycled through um, in Cleveland, in Berea, at the Browns training camp. But, you know, tonight, again, we are going to talk about nothing but Patriots. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with this team. Unfortunately, we've seen a little bit of a weird transition with the Patriots recently. A lot, Some stuff has leaked from the locker room, which is the, f- the first time that's ever happened. Uh, seems like a lot because of the divide from Tom Brady and his trainer Alex Guerrero and, of course, head coach Bill Belichick. And then you throw in Jimmy Garoppolo, you sprinkle in a little bit of Gronk and maybe some Robert Kraft. And then all of a sudden, hey, don't forget about Josh McDaniels. And all of a sudden, you have some drama brewing down in Foxborough. And we'll get all t- t- to all that tonight. Um, you know, before we do that, of course, I do want to mention you can find us on Twitter at Glory Podcast. We have a brand new blog website. Uh, thanks to our friends at Boldworks. So shout out to Adam, Matthias, and Chris over at Boldworks. If you guys need a, a website, I highly suggest you check them out. That's b o l d w e r k s dot com. Great guys over there. Um, and of course, you can find us on all socials: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the good stuff. But uh, tonight, what I want to talk about is we will talk about Tom Brady. We will talk about Rob Gronkowski not being at OTAs, organized team activities, not optional. we got to make sure we, uh, we get that straightened out. Um, but before we do that, I do want to talk about some of the key additions, not only from the NFL draft, but also through trade, uh, as well as just the free agency period. A lot of players outplayed their contracts. As we all know, Bill Belichick is notorious for underpaying his guys, saying, come to, come to my team, earn your worth and then move on to greener pastures. And we saw a lot of that. Uh, a lot of guys left the, the Patriots this offseason, but they were replaced by what should be solid fill, fill-ins. And in typical Belichickian fashion, he's able to uh, plug and play and, and build what should be yet another contender. But, of course, it all comes down to what goes on with Brady and Gronk, which we will talk about soon enough. But the first guy that I plan on talking about tonight, it's a guy and. Sorry about that. A little bit of a production delay there, but uh, that's the famous Hawk Harrelson telling us that Dion Lewis is gone. Signed a four-year, $20 million contract with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, 
Again, another player that really outplayed his contract. He signed a two-year deal for a couple million bucks as a prove-it deal. Um, the Patriots kind of went on a limb to sign him after a few, I think it was like five or six games of, of stellar play. He was fantastic for the Patriots, and then he tore his ACL. Well, last season we saw him fully healed from that ACL injury, and he was a difference maker, an absolute difference maker. Uh, the running game, the offense in general just clicked so much better when he was 100% healthy and was getting 20-plus touches. Uh, if you're a fantasy football player, you, you probably picked him up midseason if you didn't draft him early on. And he was a solid top 15 running back, I'd say, for the rest of the year in fantasy production. And then if you're an NFL player or NFL coach and you're, you're scouting him, he, he's a difference maker, an absolute um, beast on the field last year. But he signed a deal with the Titans, uh, like I said, $20 bucks over four years. He's now the eighth highest paid running back in average annual value. And even with De uh, Derrick Henry in Tennessee there, obviously DeMarco Murray uh, has been cut and is searching for a job right now. Uh, you don't sign Lewis to that kind of contract and just think you're going to give him five to ten touches to be a change of pace guy. I think Dion Lewis is going to have a huge role in Tennessee, uh, and as he had a huge role in New England. So there's a large void to fill, and I really think that the Patriots filled that void by taking Sony Michelle, running back from Georgia, with a 31st overall pick in the draft. And, I mean, he wasn't even on my radar as a target for the Patriots in the first round, mainly because the last time Belichick took a running back in the first round was in 2006 when Lawrence Maroney went 20th overall. And, I mean, needless to say, that didn't work out at all. Uh, he should have been uh, a game-changer in our backfield, but I think he might have been a little bit distracted off the field as we found out after his career that he'd been arrested for uh, drug use or, or, I don't know, possession of whatever. Um, but... Again, a huge surprise that the Patriots would take a running back, especially because they already have a loaded death chart right now with they re-signed Rex Burkhead to a three-year deal. Uh, they already have Mike Gillisley from last year. They brought in Jeremy Hill on a one-year deal. And they also had James White on the roster, who's a pass-catching back. So a lot of concerns with, well, is Michelle going to get a ton of touches? Is he going to even have a role in this team early on? And the way I look at it, the Patriots spent a first-round pick on a running back, which means they plan on using him and using him often. Now, Jerry Thornton from Barstool Sports mentioned today he saw Sonny Michelle. He says the guy is an actual absolute specimen of a man. Uh, looks like he is just can just murder people as he runs through the uh, runs through the line, you know, running between the tackles, not just a scat back. But he does have concerns. Ahead of the draft, there was an issue with his knee. He got red flagged. They're saying there's bone on bone, um, grinding, not a lot of cartilage there. We saw the same thing happen to Jay Ajayi uh, a couple years ago. Got had a historic career at Boise State, but dropped all the way to the fifth round with the Dolphins because teams were weary that, hey, this guy is only going to make it that one contract. He won't make it to that big money contract, which is usually after four or five years. Well, the Patriots obviously weren't too worried about that because they took him the 31st overall pick. That means that he's going to at least be a Patriot for four years if all goes according to plan, and they have that fifth-year option, which will be pretty expensive for a running back. So, obviously, I don't want to talk about four years down the road right now, but it does tell me that if they're going to invest significant draft capital in this player, they plan on using him. And I think they have a plan for him. Now, the other big concern about him is he has some fumble concerns. Last year, fumbled once every 55 touches, which that ain't going to fly. Ask Stephen Ridley how it works out if you fumble the ball in the New England. Former 1,000-yard rusher, fumbled a couple, got knocked out one time, still got dogged for fumbling it, yet he got cut. So... 
Sony Michelle needs to hold on to the ball in order to be a factor in the Patriots offense. He needs to hold the ball in order to just even get on the field, just even dress on Sundays. So even with those two major concerns, I'm still really excited about Sony Michelle on this offense. I really think he plays Deion Lewis's role to a T, and he's even bigger than Deion Lewis. He's got about four inches and 20 pounds on him. He started off his career as a scat back in Georgia. However, he ended up splitting time last year with Nick Chubb, who was more heavily recruited, more heavily touted, uh, ended up going in the third round to the Browns, but ended up splitting time with him and had 1,227 rushing yards on 7.9 yards per carry and 16 touchdowns, which is video game numbers. You might remember him. He absolutely dominated Oklahoma in the playoff game, the college playoff, and he played really well against Alabama in the championship game. Now, those stats are thanks to a great line, a great offensive line at Georgia, thanks to fellow first-round pick by the Patriots at 23rd overall. This is the pick that we got for trading Brandon Cooks, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But they got Isaiah Wynn, who should be an instant starter from day one as long as he recovers from shoulder surgery, which, along with yet another left tackle or another lineman, um, new lineman, both of them will be recovering from shoulder injuries, and we'll talk about him later as well. But it just shows that, yes, Michelle was very, very good in the SEC. However, he was running behind a great offensive line. So I still think his skill set will translate into New England. And the reason why is I do think that they have the idea that Sony Michelle is going to fit the Deion Lewis role. If you guys remember correctly last year, and if you played fantasy football, then you absolutely will not forget this because you had nightmares about this. In between the 20s, it was Deion Lewis. In the red zone, it was Rex Burkhead. Catching balls, obvious passing downs, was James White. The goal line stuff worked for the first few weeks of Mike Gillisley. That didn't last. But I really think that Sony Michelle is going to jump right into the Deion Lewis role. He's going to have about 20 touches a game. He's going to lead the team in rushing. He might not lead the team in touchdowns, but he'll definitely get the most usage as long as he stays healthy and doesn't fumble the ball. And for that reason, I am excited about Sonny Michelle in this offense. Not only is he a talented runner, but you always see running backs succeed in the Patriot offense. And usually, it's not even the athletic guys. Like, Eric Blunt, is, he's a hammer. He was, he was great, but he wasn't super athletic. He succeeded. Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis. Just flat out wasn't that good, but he still was a thousand yard rusher in New England. Now you have an elite athlete like Sony Michelle who's built to play running back. And I think it's going to make for special things here in New England. So I'm very excited about that. But arguably, you know, the biggest loss this offseason, I'd say, would have to be Malcolm Butler, who signed a five year, $61 million contract with the Titans. So former Patriot, Mike Vrabel, bringing all the Patriots, trying to bring the Patriot way to Nashville. Now, good for you. Good on you. Good luck. Hope that works out for you. But, you know, Butler's career in New England, it really can be summed up in a simple quote that can be found in pretty much every girl's picture, senior picture in the yearbook uh, that graduated in the early 2000s. What a long, strange trip it's been. That is Malcolm Butler's career in New England to a T. He went from undrafted free agent to Super Bowl hero to all pro to slightly above average, and finally he saw his Patriot career end while on the bench during the Super Bowl. If you guys listen to our post-Super Bowl podcast, we brought on Michael Hurley from CBS Boston, and both him and I agreed that if Butler plays in that game, they win the Super Bowl. 
there were so many third down and fourth down conversions that they just needed a guy who was an elite athlete, a supreme athlete, a guy who could tackle. We saw Jonathan Batamosi got spun like a top on multiple occasions, uh, thanks to Nag- Nelson Aguilar. If Butler's on Aguilar and not Batamosi, and they get a stop on third and fourth down, I do think the Super Bowl ends up being the Patriots. I think they win that game. So it's just it just is so odd how that whole relationship soured so quickly, and I think it can actually go all the way back to um, uh, Malcolm Butler's agent. So Malcolm Butler's agent, inexperienced, I think he was a family lawyer, had zero athletes in his portfolio, and after Butler had that All Pro season, you started hearing stories, hearing rumors out of the locker room that Butler wasn't happy, he wanted to get paid because you still on that undrafted free agent money. So great money for you and I. But he's making like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year. He sees other guys making, you know, fifteen million, thirteen million, ten million. He says, "I'm as good as those guys." But in typical Belichickian fashion, he says, "You will not be an unrestricted free agent until the year 2018. You're not going to get paid like that. You're structured. You're going to get you get first round tender. You're going to get three million bucks this year, and then we can renegotiate." Squeaky wheel, squeaky wheel, squeaky wheel. And then finally, Belichick's like, I'm done with this guy. I mean, ask Wes Welker what happens when you get on Belichick's bad side. It's, like, impossible to get back in his good graces. So, Belichick, I think, just a spit in Butler's face, signed Stephon Gilmore to a five-year, $65 million contract. You know, this guy's going to get $15 million bucks a year, $13 million bucks a year. You're not going to get it from me. Go find it somewhere else. Play out your contract. And then, on international TV, embarrass the hell out of the guy just by sitting him. So I'm still shocked by that move. I'm still frustrated by that move because I really do think that Belichick's arrogance got in his way, or got in the way of the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. And frustration, disappointment, confusion just kind of sums up the last six months of being a Patriots fan. But in the end, going to 2018, the Patriots do replace Malcolm Butler's production, and I'm pretty excited about having the McCourty twins in the secondary. The Patriots traded a seventh-round pick to the Cleveland Browns for cornerback Jason McCourty, who's the twin brother of safety, Devin McCourty. And if you look at Pro Football Focus's rankings of players or ratings of players, Jason McCourty actually finished at an 83.9, which was the 27th highest cornerback, while Malcolm Butler came in at 79.2, which put him at 51 uh, for all cornerbacks. Now, compared to Stephon Gilmore, who is now the lead dog, the left corner of this team, Started off the season terribly, however, finished at 89.4 and was the number seven cornerback. So you got your lead dog, you're paying $15 million a year, $13 million a year, and now you're bringing in Jason McCourty at $3 million bucks, and he's actually rated higher on a worse team than Malcolm Butler was in 2017. So while long-term, obviously I'd rather have Malcolm Butler, but do I want to commit $28 million to my secondary or to my top two corners? Not really. Sounds like a lot of money, and usually Belichick doesn't like to hamstring hamstring himself that way. So I love the fact that they're bringing in Jason McCourty. He's going to slide in to be the second corner, while Stephon Gilmore's on the left side, McCourty will be on the right side. You're paying $3 million this year for, for Jason McCourty. He knows your system because... It's basically Rutgers 2.0 where he went to school. Um, and on top of that, you're getting the same better production for a quarter of the price. So while Malcolm, I appreciate everything you did. You, you 
you d- made the most amazing play that I will never forget. I'll remember exactly where I was. I'll remember how depressed I was leading up to that play because I thought Marshawn Lynch is going to go right up the middle, but then Pete Carroll shit down his leg. And uh, so I appreciate everything you did in New England. Thank you. But have fun in Tennessee. Enjoy your money. Enjoy the squad. I, I do think Tennessee is on the up and up. They've made some nice moves this year. Uh, I'd like to see what Mike Rabel's going to do in Tennessee now, first time ever. He really shot through the ranks as uh, went from being a linebacker for the Patriots to a special teams coach, I think to a linebacker coach with, with the Texans, defensive coordinator, and now within three years of being a coach, he's now the head coach of Tennessee. So so good on you, Mike. Uh, friend of the podcast, uh, contributor Kevin is a, is, is a pal of Rabel. So we, we do wish nothing but the best of Rabel um, and, and the Tennessee Titans, but it'll be interesting to see how, how these moves work out and see if Mar- Marcus Mariota can actually turn into a legit quarterback. I, I know the Zustin bros have different thoughts on that. But um, I want to switch over to the pass-catching options, the pass-catching room, because that's been a really, really interesting turnover, or, or a lot of really interesting turnover there. The first move that surprised me i didn't see it coming i wasn't thrilled at first but i got over it really quick uh was brandon cooks being treated to the the los angeles rams for the 23rd pick at first i was disappointed because i'm a big brandon cooks fan uh just really liked him big big fantasy player so uh brandon cooks is often on my team especially in dynasty leagues but what was interesting was the patriots gave up the 32nd pick for him last year they got a year out of him picked up his option for $8 bucks, and then turned around and traded him for a better pick. So while I get what the Rams are trying to do here, they're just trying to bolster their offense around Jared Goff while Goff is still super cheap. I don't know what the hell they were thinking because obviously they weren't watching game tape like I was. I watched, what, 19 games of Brandon Cooks, and as physically talented as he is, his happy feet made me want to just pound my fist against a wall. I don't know how many times he would just do that little jitterbug move uh, with the first five steps, wasting a half second to a second, um, as opposed to just, I don't know, you got 4-2 speed, run around the guy. Don't don't try to juke him there. It, it didn't work. It never, never, never worked, especially when defensive backs gave him a 10-yard cushion. Now, all of his disappointment in New England, I don't really want to call it disappointment. He just disappeared at times. I think... A lot of it is because Julian Edelman was not manning the middle of the field. I think Edelman takes a lot of attention away from secondaries, so that would have kept Brandon Cooks not wide open, but probably a little bit more open. And that also would have just allowed him to operate a little bit more freely. So as much as I expected a lot more from Brandon Cooks, I expected not Randy Moss numbers, not 2007 Randy Moss numbers, but, you know, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. It just wasn't in the cards. I'm happy the Patriots moved on got good value for him. I'm also excited that Julian Edelman is coming back. However, after torn ACL turning 32, I'm not ready to, to crown him as the 90-100 catch guy right away. However, again, Jerry Thornton Barstool Sports mentioned that he got a hot tip that said Edelman is moving around like he hasn't missed a beat. So that's exciting. Um, I hope he comes back. He's a hard worker. He he did tear his ACL early, so it was in the preseason, so that means he had a full offseason, full season to recover. So I am hoping for the best out of Edelman, but I'm not ready to definitely say he's going to be the guy he was two years ago. 
So I think that's a big reason why they brought in Jordan Matthews on a one-year contract. Slot receiver, again, was with uh, injury riddled the year last year with Buffalo. Had some pretty solid seasons. A Nick Verne favorite in Dynasty football. Um, had a historic start to his career. I think more by default because Philadelphia really had no pass catchers. But Matthews is going to come in on a one-year prove a deal and has an opportunity to be a difference maker on this team, I think, because not only is Edelman possibly not going to be 100% right away, but also they lost Danny Amendola, playoff Danny. Good for him. Another good on you. Signed a huge contract with Miami. I don't know what the hell the Dolphins are doing. Uh, They're cutting guys. They're adding guys that make no sense. I love it because I'm a Patriots fan, so I enjoy seeing Miami suck year in, year out, and I think that's only going to continue. Again, as much as I love Danny Amendola, take your $6 million guaranteed and go have fun down in South Beach. Uh, also, in in the receiver room, the Patriots cut Martellus Bennett, who decided to retire. Uh, a little disappointing. Was hoping that he would come back to um, you know, his form where he was two years ago in New England when he had a, a pretty solid season with, Mar- or with uh, Rob Gronkowski out. But he seemed to have his head elsewhere. He wants to start his imagination agency. So uh, good for him. I uh, wish him the best. But... You know, behind Gronk, who again not at OTAs, there's not a lot in the, uh, you know other than Dwayne Allen. Dwayne Allen's the only proven tight end. They have Jacob Hollister. They they drafted a couple of guys. Tight end is a huge position in New England, and they need to really bring in a guy who can be there in case Gronk gets hurt. We all know Gronk's not an Iron Man. He plays he plays physical. I mean, guys are diving at his knees constantly. Every time he falls down, I am petrified. He is going to just shatter because he's taken so many hits. But um, you know, he stayed healthy all year last year. I'm hoping for the same. Don't know what the hell's going on, but we'll talk about that in a few moments. The, the biggest, and, and not just size-wise, but possibly production-wise, the biggest loss the Patriots had have to, has to be Nate Solder. Again, we're working on the production value here. My he gone, just incoming. Oh, there we go. So... Nate Solder just signed the largest contract ever for an offensive lineman, which is hilarious with the New York Giants, which is hilarious because he's had zero All-Pro considerations, and he's also never made it to the Pro Bowl. So it was a down year for offensive linemen. There weren't a lot in the draft. There weren't a lot available in free agency. So I'm happy that Solder was able to cash in when he could. But for the money he got, it just wasn't worth it. It was not worth it whatsoever. I think that the the Giants are really going to be uh, having buyer's remorse in two or three years. When we said we committed how much to this guy? He's good. He's not great. He's good. But in order to replace Solder, they had to bring in a mountain of a man. Before Solder, it was Matt Light who was huge. Solder is 6'8", 6'9", big dude. Well, they brought in Trent Brown, who they traded with um, the 49ers, gave him a fifth-round pick for him. His nickname's a sunblocker, which is awesome. He fits that mold. He's 6'8", 350 pounds. Now, again, he's recovering from a shoulder injury, shoulder surgery, hoping he comes back 100% healthy, doesn't gain a ton of weight, he's ready for, for week one. Because if he's not, that's going to be a major, major issue. I mean, Tom Brady's going to be 41 years old. He's had two left tackles his whole career. You're bringing in a third guy. He's obviously already disgruntled. If he's not healthy, if Trent Brown's not healthy and there's a just a rotation at left tackle, this season could get real ugly real quick. So we'll see how his recovery uh, ends up being. Uh, we'll know more, obviously, as we get to the, to the preseason and mini camps. 
Um, also, let's not forget that they re-signed swingman uh, Ladrian Waddle to a one-year deal, and, and, and Waddle can play both the guard and tackle positions. Uh, but real quick, let's let's break down a few more signings before we get to the uh, the big news of the week. Pats re-signed Matthew Slater, special teams ace. He went out on the market to see what he could get. Obviously, there wasn't a huge market for a uh, special teams guy who really does nothing more than uh, runs down the field and, and makes tackles in key plays, very key plays. But they also traded for super freak Cordero Patterson from the Raiders. Uh, obviously, John Gruden apparently didn't want him. Now that Dion Lewis is gone, the Patriots need a kick returner, and that's where Patterson excels. Obviously, this whole kick return thing might change with whenever they change the rules. Um, so hopefully that doesn't take away from Patterson's value to the Patriots. But he's one of the most dynamic kick returners since Devin Hester. So that that gives the Patriots a leg up. On defense, which was uh, the, the biggest issue in the Super Bowl, uh, the Patriots signed DN Adrian Claiborne and traded for Cleveland Brown d- defensive tackle Danny Shelton because they really need to bolster that defensive line. You might remember Adrian Claiborne for two things. If you're a Patriots fan, public enemy number one a few years ago when he ran into uh, Brady's knee in a joint practice in the preseason. Uh, that's when everybody went nuts because they thought that uh, the um, helicopter coming in to the Patriots practice field was the life flight, ended up being Robert Kraft. Uh, New England media went crazy for, for about 24 hours. Just Google it. You'll remember it. You might also remember him for having six sacks last year against the Tyron Smith-less uh, Dallas Cowboys. Tyron Smith obviously is the elite left tackle. He was out that week, and um, Adrian Claiborne ate him up for six sacks. So he's not a 15, 16 sack guy. He's probably going to get six to eight sacks, but he will at least have a presence on the edge that the Patriots have honestly missed since Jabal Sheard, and I'm still pissed they didn't re-sign him. But I actually really like the Danny Shelton trade. They gave him a third-round pick for him. Uh, Shelton ended up being expendable uh, because they uh, Larry – I'm going to totally screw this name up, but Larry Ogunjobi, who was a rookie last year for the Browns, stepped up, didn't make Shelton, uh, didn't replace him, but just kind of made him replaceable, I guess, expendable. Uh, Shelton, from everything I've read so far, has just been destroying the Patriots offensive line, which isn't saying much considering they don't have their top two guys there. But uh, that's that's exciting to see. The Patriots have missed that force in the middle ever since Alan Branch has decided not to play anymore and, and was a healthy scratch more often than not in the second half of the season. So, a lot of additions, a lot of subtractions. I like the replacements. I still wish we had a more of an impact player on defense. I was hoping to get one of those in the draft. However, I do like what they did in the draft. They did the typical Patriot move. What, well, actually, you know what? They made their first-round picks, which I was surprised by. But then they kept on trading. I mean, they got a they got a they got a corner in the second round, and then they kept on trading out, trading out, trading out, trading out. Uh, Braxton Berrios is going to be the new crush for all the ladies in New England. They'll have all of his pink jerseys. He's going to be Danny Amendola 2.0 if he makes a team. Uh, Edelman 2.0 if he makes a team, of course, if he can return punts. But short white guy, good looking guy with abs. I mean, the girls need the eye candy, and. Uh, the one thing that did not happen in the draft, which I was very surprised about, was the Patriots did not use any draft capital on the quarterback, which, again, that could be all part of the whole Tom Brady drama. But uh, the only quarterback they took was Danny Etling uh, out of LSU in the seventh round. I don't think Bill took him to be the next Brady, but maybe he is going to be a project guy because Hoyer is Brian Hoyer. But, you know, speaking of Tom Brady, let's address it. Let's talk about it. It's hmm, it's tough. 
it, it's tough. You know, let's start with something easier. Let's talk about Gronk. I think this one's easy. I think this one is absolutely plain and simple. Yeah, he's a little pissy that Guerrero, Alex Guerrero, Tom Brady's personal trainer, the guy who started TB12 method with Brady, uh, who's now Gronk's trainer. I think he's a little pissy that Guerrero doesn't have the access he once did to the locker room, to the field, to the stadium. However, I think Gronk just wants to get paid like the number one tight end, which he is. You know, right now, Jimmy Graham is getting $10 million a year, average annual value. Gronk's getting $9 million a year. Not a huge shift in money, but you look at Gronk, you look at Jimmy Graham, who's worth more? It's simple. Gronk is. So last offseason, the Patriots restructured Gronk's contract on May 25th. Well, you can only then restructure your contract again a calendar year later. So that means May 25th. Today is May 22nd. This will be published on May 23rd. Friday, May 25th, I fully expect Rob Gronkowski to renegotiate his contract and then be on the practice field. He's making a business decision right now. He's not ready to be a WWE superstar, though Raw just sold for like a trillion billion dollars or, or SmackDown. Um, he's not ready to be a Hollywood icon. I still think he wants to be Gronk, the football player. So let Gronk be Gronk. Let him do his thing. However, Stephen A. Smith voice, I expect to see him on the field on Friday in OTAs with a brand new contract, making him the number one paid tight end. So, Nothing to see there, but there is something to see with Tom Brady. And this is really starting to see, to get very, very petty, which frustrates me about Brady. And, I mean, listen, Brady can do absolutely nothing wrong in my eyes when it comes down to. In the end, Brady is the savior of this team. I know you say Belichick could have turned anybody into a stud quarterback. I don't know about that. They definitely needed each other. But Brady, to me, is the face of the franchise. Brady's the guy that I grew up watching. You know, Brady's on my wall. I have his autograph picture under lock and key. He is the guy that, when I think of the Patriots dynasty over the past 17 years, yes, I think about Belichick, but I think about Tom Brady first. Now, last year, we were definitely on that road to a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers scenario that would have probably tarnished Brady's legacy a bit, even though his latest transgressions really aren't helping him. But Kraft stepped in, Robert Kraft, the owner, and made sure Garoppolo would not be around to be 2018's version of Aaron Rodgers. He wouldn't be the guy to make the legend go away, not to piss off the legend. Because I do believe that if it was up to Bill Belichick, he would have simply said, Garoppolo's my guy. You know, Brady's contract, let it run out. Garoppolo's my guy. Let Brady walk or let's trade Brady. Because Belichick cares about the next 10 years. He doesn't care about the last 10 years. He cares about the next 10 years. And he thinks he had that guy in Garoppolo. And I, I agree with him. I do. I mean, look what Garoppolo did with San Francisco. They rolled off six straight wins after he got there halfway through the season, didn't know the offense, had nobody to throw to, and Garoppolo looked calm under pressure, looked great. Now, that's not to say that I agree that we should have kept Garoppolo. Again, I went back to, look what Brady's done for you. I think that this guy should retire a Patriot. He deserves it. Now, the grief that Belichick has is like, or that, that Brady has is that his guy, like I mentioned, Grail cannot get the access that he once did. Grail's one of his good friends, his business partner, his personal trainer. Um, he's the godfather to one of his kids. And I 1000 actually, actually I fully agree with Belichick on why Grail isn't allowed to have the full access he did once before, because there's too many guys going against the Patriot system, the Patriot way, because they see Brady being successful at age 41. They see Julian Elliman training under Guerrero being successful. Rob Gronkowski, all those guys. And they say, well, I want to follow that regiment. Well, if that regiment is totally different than, than Bill Belichick's, which it is, 
yeah, there are going to be issues. So, you know, as a fan, you're kind of behind between a rock and a hard place here. You want to go with the players, the guys, but at the same time, I see where Belichick's coming from. Now, is that petty? Is that frustrating for me? Absolutely. But I don't know. I th- to be perfectly honest, I think in the end, the grief comes down to money and Brady's security in New England. If you look at Brady's contract, there is an out after 2019. After this, or after 2018, in this next season, they can cut Brady and have $7 million worth of dead cap. And that's it, which is if they cut him now, they'd have $28 million worth of dead cap. His contract runs out after 2019. Brady wants some reassurance to say, hey, I'm your guy for two to three more years. Now, the fact that the Patriots didn't draft anybody, I think, should say, yeah, we're going to roll with you for two to three more years. But Brady wants his contract. I think that's what it boils down to. I also think that his agent, Don Yee, who also represents Jimmy Garoppolo, he might have got some, maybe saw the Patriots' motives when negotiating Jimmy Garoppolo's contract because the Patriots did try to keep Garoppolo. They just couldn't meet the asking price. You know, I I think that between Brady seeing Jimmy Garoppolo getting $27 million a year, Matt Ryan getting 30, Kirk Cousins getting 28, all these guys who've had zero Super Bowl rings, they're getting these commitments from teams, yet Brady's won five Super Bowls, has been to eight, and he can't get the same commitment. Now, obviously, age comes into play. I get that. But let's commit to Tom Brady. You know, that that's what's pissing him off, Bill. Bell, Brady just came off an MVP season. He, he's, he still hasn't missed a beat. You're just pissing him off by not giving him a contract. You have the cap space for it. Why are you not going to give him a two-year, $60 million deal? That makes everybody happy. He plays till 2021. You draft your guy next year, maybe the year after. You have plenty of draft capital next year. You can get that guy then. I don't understand why the Patriots simply just can't come to an agreement with Brady. Now, I'm not freaking out about him not being at OTAs. I understand that he's never missed OTAs, and you know our friend Farkey pointed out that I call this the Patriot way, but all of a sudden the head Patriot just simply isn't going to show up. I get that, but it's a simple fix. I really think it is, and I mean, after 17 years, yeah, there's always going to be some, not bad blood, but there's going to be issues between management and the player, coach and the player. That's just relationships. What relationship that's lasted 17 years have you ever said, well, this is you know, perfect, crystal clean, not an issue whatsoever? It just doesn't happen. It simply does not happen. But, you know, I do think that Brady should maybe give a little bit here as well. I think both parties need to give. It's a negotiation. You know, Brady always preached the, the first one in, last one out mentality, but aren't you being a little bit hypocritical because rumors are that Brady and Gronk were both at the TB12 studio, which is – Literally about 400 yards away from the Patriots practice facility. So it's not like he can't be here because of other issues. Like his, Giselle ain't telling him not to be there. He's not in Qatar doing a charity thing. No, he, he can come in if he wants to. But I think he feels slighted that he said, where's my guaranteed money? Where is where's the love? How many times have I taken a pay cut or renegotiated my contract to help this team? But where's the commitment from you guys? And to be honest... I hear him on that. I get that. I absolutely get that. But in order to make this marriage reconcile for another two to three years, you know, he's got to come in a little bit. I think he's both both him and Bill got to come to the middle a little bit. And obviously, this is not nothing but speculation. 
we don't know. The, the fact that we've heard so much that's coming out of that locker room is, is mind-blowing because the Patriots simply never, never let anything leak. But with all the drama going down now, it's, just, it's an interesting, interesting time to be a New England Patriots fan. So, you know, in the end, I expect Brady to show up for the preseason and hopefully by the end of OTAs, maybe when Gronk gets his contract. And he's probably going to lead this team deep in the playoffs and possibly, hopefully, win his sixth Super Bowl ring. But this is just another sign that really all is not well at Patriot Place. And the end of this magical ride that started when Mo Lewis absolutely rocked Drew Bledsoe and sent him to Mass General back in 2001, it's going to come to an end soon. And it's going to be sooner rather than later. So cherish these moments, Patriots fans. You know, Cherish the moments so we can talk about Tom Brady trying to win his sixth Super Bowl ring because it, it, it ain't going to last. So that's it for the first episode of the Patriot Way podcast brought to you by the Never Ending Glory podcast. My goal is to try to get these out, you know, once every every week, twice every week during the season. You know, as things ramp up, we'll definitely do our best to try to make sure that we release at least, um, you know, a preview of the game and a recap of the game. Uh, keep it light, keep it loose, keep it fun. We went a little bit long tonight. I do apologize for that. But, you know, a lot to talk about with not only the Patriots drama, but also some of the key moves that they made. So, you know, in the end, be sure to check us out on Twitter at Glory Podcast. Check out the blog. We are just churning out tons of content right now. Butler and I just did a recent Dynasty startup mock draft, so we're uh, making sure that we have all the different picks out there for you. So if you're getting into a draft, uh, you know what you're doing, unlike what I did back in 2009, my first ever Dynasty draft. Also, we'll have plenty of fantasy football content coming up over the next few months as we get into um, preseason and fantasy draft time. So, a lot of fun tonight, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to hit us up on all social media. Let us know what you want to talk about, what want us to talk about. Send us emails at negpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to keep it locked on the Never Ending Glory podcast as we get into the 2018 NFL season. All right, we'll talk to you later.